This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is July 22nd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Kate Kulig, and I was at WRHU from spring of 1985 to the end of the summer 1988. Okay. Well, thank you, and welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. And um, just to recap from our first conversation, you talked a little bit about some of the jobs and positions you had at the station. Do you mind recalling those for us? Sure. Um First position I held was traffic director when I was um, very early in my tenure there. Um, I also spent some time working with, his name was Barry. I do not remember his last name. He was the remote operations chief. I was the assistant um, in that case. I remember talking to you a lot about um, hanging out with the sports guys a little bit, and I had to dress up, and they got to wear flannel. Um. (laughs) As I moved into being a junior and a senior, um, I was program operations director for a bit, and um, my last two semesters were as um, as program director. Um, and then I finished up a couple classes in the summer and graduated August of 1988. I think I still popped in once in a while before I moved mm-hmm. to Arizona alum in '89. Okay. Um, we did talk about the traffic director and the, and the remote stuff a little bit in the first interview. So if you don't mind, I'd like to jump into your decision to apply for program operations director. And I think even people when they worked at the station weren't entirely sure what that job was. So if you could give us a sense of what you were, uh, why you were applying for it and, and what the job was about. Well, see, so here's the funny thing. I didn't actually apply for it. I had applied oh. for program director that year. And um, actually, Correction. Um, I had originally thought to apply for station manager because I had been working um, on the technical side and I really liked it. But when I sat down to fill out the application, I realized that a lot of my ideas were more towards programming, um, especially mm. with their, I wanted there to really be someplace where um, new staff members could cut their teeth. Um, when I first started, we had um, Rock Ages, which was a couple hours of classic rock. For a while, there was Blues Forms, which um, Jason did a great job of producing, but not a lot of people knew the music very well. New Age actually was um, getting its hold in the 80s at the time, and we mm-hmm. ended up doing a lot of that. I was not selected as program director that year, but um, a little bit later into the summer, um, the person who who had the position um, had some conflicts. They were not able to meet all the commitments, and I found myself stepping in. And I mentioned to Dave Bolander, knowing me probably more than once, um, that I could... I could take the job. And uh, some weeks later, he came to me and said, you're the new POD. So what is the program operations director? Um, At the time, it was a lot of paperwork. Being way down on the left end of the dial, um, we're a public, you know, we're a public service station, but we had to be able to prove that at any given time. 
I don't think an FCC inspector ever was going to drop in on a college radio station, but mm-hmm. I'm sure it happens. But Jeff was very, very firm that that program book was always going to be completely up to date. We had a page of each program for every day. And for all of our taped content, whether it was um, learning about the law, whether it was the Long Island Community Spotlight, we had to have um, a summary and talk and basically a written record of what it was that we broadcast. The logs that were generated by the traffic director were not enough. We had to be able to prove that we were doing public service. So also, since we had a lot of pre-recorded programming, um, somebody had to make sure that the right programs out of the library got to master control control, um, ideally several days before they were due to be on the air. Some of these did not necessarily get done until a few minutes before broadcast. There Mm. was a show that was created. um, It was kind of a social science, current events kind of thing. one of my uh, my economics professor, um, Dr. Melconian, was one of the gentlemen doing it, and we wanted recordings for the record, but they always wanted to re- they always wanted to do something as current as possible. So they frequently had um, last minute recording sessions. I don't remember what that show was called. I don't. I don't recall. Uh, hearing about that, but uh, that's got to be a lot of pressure on you to to make sure that that program is there. And, and how do you yell at your professor and say, hey, you need to get your programs in earlier so again, I can have them ready to be on the air? Yeah. Fortunately, well, it was a couple of years after I had taken the class, but I did have to look at him at one point and say, look, this is really hard for, for me to t- tell someone who gave me a D, but... <laughs> so um that show i think only lasted a couple semesters but it was a valuable experience getting the student and the uh, faculty community involved um in i wish we could have done more of it the students oftentimes like oh we have a radio station why aren't you playing rock and roll um I seem to recall in the basement of Memorial Hall that there was uh, two sets of very large bookcases that were stacked with reel-to-reel tape, both the, the, the larger pancake size and then the, the smaller uh, reels. And that was what I remember part of the archive of things that the program operations director would be responsible for. Was that the case when you were there? Yes, that's exactly correct. Um those were, you know, reel-to-reel tape, seven inches per second. So the, yeah, pancake size was, um, they were, you know, some, you know the hour-long tapes got to be uh, pretty good sized. Yeah, and I, I remember that wasn't the only stuff that was available. That was the, the stuff that was primarily in rotation or evergreen stuff. So you're responsible for making sure that stuff gets to the studio. And this might be a little too esoteric. This might be a little too detailed. But do you remember where those tapes would wind up in the main on-air studio so that, that students could find them when they were ready to go on the air? 
If you were facing the microphone, they were on a middle shelf on the back on the far left. One for each okay. day. And sometimes not quite enough room because if somebody who did a live show was going to be out, then they would you know, they would sometimes fill in, um, have a tape show to fill in for themselves. Okay. I was... As you were describing the the the, uh, the process, I was like, "Where were those tapes?" So that that mostly backs up with what I remember from from my time there. So thank you for for that. Um, so you spend a year as program operations director, and uh, I guess you're going into your senior year, and you still have that ambition to be program director. So um, what about applying uh, again for that position? And and did you learn anything from the interview process or or from being the program operations director that helped you land the gig. Jeff was a tough interviewer. And I remember the first time I applied for something, I applied for chief announcer, um, I think at the end of my freshman year or maybe into my sophomore year. And you know, it's like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And all I knew was I wanted it to be in radio. And by the time that I applied for program director, I had seen a lot of situations, um, 86, 87, we were fairly low on staff in a lot of ways. So there were a lot of times people had to jump to fill in slots. I don't remember specific ideas that I might've had. I, I know I loved the station. I thought I could bring a lot to the role. And um, the station was um, essentially in college. It was probably, if I wasn't working or I wasn't in class, and even when I was supposed to be in class, I was probably to be found at the station. So um, mm -hmm. to me, it seemed very much like a natural progression, but I worked hard to earn that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you make any uh, programming changes or, or uh, changes to the schedule or to the sound of the station while you were a program director? Were there goals that you had that to say, I want things to sound like this or I want it to be like this? You mentioned a little earlier um, that you want to give sort of a, a space for new people to, to learn and experiment. What did you, uh, what did you uh, walk away with as program director? Um, the... New Age Images um, was actually brought into um, Monday through Friday evenings um, the year before I had you know, the year I was program operations director. We didn't have any big radical change in the fall of 1987. We were working with um, his first name was Mark. I don't remember his last name, but um it was a student who really wanted to do um, an international music program, but um, a lot of things didn't get coordinated, but I remember very much wanting to do that. I didn't make an outreach effort to um, students or faculty, and in retrospect, I really wish I had. There was an, a 15-minute experiment. Um, it was brought to me by one of the economics professors, another name I don't remember. I am getting so old. Um, but he brought to me um, 
a concept for a show called Choices for the New Investor. And he filled out a proposal. I felt so professional. You know, it's like he took me to lunch at Roy Rogers so we could talk about this. And basically it was him and three of his senior students um, talking about going out in the world and managing finances. And it was pretty interesting. Um, I wish I had thought to push a little more public relations for it. Um, it only lasted a semester, but I think it was a valuable experiment. And um, there was another program. This was taped that came in. It was another political science uh, focused. Those programs were not necessarily very popular. They did not bring in the dollars when uh, when it was time to do the lay your money on the line begathons. But um, looking back, you know, I think we really did provide a valuable service to the community. I think um, if I had to do a few things over again, I would try to do more for public relations. Yeah, I think that's a constant struggle with uh, with a station um, like WRHU in that uh, there's some university support, but perhaps not as much as you would have liked, or there's perhaps not as many dollars to support things. But um, and then going back to the to that economics program that you mentioned, I imagine that's something that would have to be produced on a pretty regular basis to keep up with things because the information changes and you can't necessarily take a, a program from six months ago and rerun it. I think that would be a difficult thing to do. So that, that might be is, why that didn't last. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. That was a weekly gig. Hmm. Um, so who were the people that you were on the executive board with at the time? Who else was a station manager or a music director or a program operations director when you were PD? Um, when I was PD, uh, Vic Bilsick was the station manager, and that is a man who worked his butt off. Um, really proud to have been able to work with him. He was executive engineer when I was program operations director, so we worked reasonably well together. Um, I think I was a better POD than I was um, a program director. Jason Levy took over as program operations director. He did a fabulous job. Shelly Griffin was chief announcer, if I remember correctly. And I believe it was Joe Levecki as executive engineer. Um, don't hold me to that. And Doug Oaken, who will forever be remembered as our version of Herb Tarlack, was our public relations director. Okay, you can't put something like that out there and not explain. <laughs> um, I am probably not going to be the first person to say that. Um, I don't remember if it was the plaid shirts or the ties or the constant smile. Doug's a great guy. And um, I gave him a bit of a hard time when he was a freshman, but um, and he did good work. Okay, fair enough. Hopefully we'll get Doug one day and I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there and see how he responds or, or perhaps some of your other contemporaries. That's That's a great line. That's a great line. You mentioned earlier uh, Jeff Krause being a tough interview, and I remember that as well, that he he 
was it felt very intimidating and 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 wanted concrete answers. Um, what about working with him uh, as program director or POD? What did you get from working with Jeff? One of the best bits of advice Jeff ever gave me um, was be like a duck, which was be unruffled in the face of things, but paddle like hell underneath. Mm. Um, Take the job seriously. Don't take yourself seriously, Um, Mm. which is not something he ever said, but it's something he lived. Um, And... You get Jeff behind a microphone for an audio drama, and you could see the man absolutely having the time of his life. But when it came to doing the work, um, he was all business. You do, you know, it's like the job has to get done no matter what. The show must go on. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, In the overall history of your time at at the radio station. There must be a story that you always tell when talking about working about Hofstra Radio. Is there one story or are there a couple of stories that always stand out for you? Um, I've got a few, depending on how much time you have. We got um, all the time. Go. <laughs> okay. Um, the more serious one was um, during a shift of the classics from Hofstra. I got a call from Jeff And that was when Challenger had exploded Mm. and Jeff had heard it on CBS news that he had on in the station office. So I went to the AP newswire. I had not heard an alarm from the AP newswire. There was very little on it about the situation. We barely knew anything, but I went on the air live and we interrupt this program to bring you the following. And it was hard to get anything coherent out. It was just such an utter shock. Mm. So were you reading news off the wire or were you sort of ad-libbing based on what was, what was there? What was that process like? Um, I think there were maybe there was, were like three sentences. So I was ad-libbing, um, the news department would descend on the station, um, a little later, Cindy McDonald, Cynthia Smith, um, an absolute great team of people, um, on our news on our news crew but it was just yeah i think of that every year in january which is just something that i you can't forget ever having done that Hmm. i i have very vivid recollection of uh being at a friend's house we had gone to study for a for midterm we didn't have regular school that week and i showed up at the door and knocked and, and this kid was, was something of a prankster and jokester and he opened the door and yelled, the space shuttle blew up and then he ran back to the TV. And I remember thinking, that's not funny. I'm going home. And he said, no, no, I'm serious. And we just, we sat and mm-hmm. watched. We didn't do any studying at all. We just sat and watched. And we're so used to instantaneous news and getting so much information now, some, sometimes in overload. But the time there was just the, 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 the network cameras of the smoke trail. Yep. And that was it. There was no other information. There was nothing else coming out. So, um, you know, again, today in, in, 
in the modern sense of information overload at the time, there was very little information coming out about that. There was just the the image of it. There was also there was also a lot less speculation and a little more corroboration. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh that's definitely a, a change in the way that that news is covered uh, since then. Wow, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, the other two stories I have are a little bit lighter. One was um has to do with a scream. Mm. There was a tape, um, a cart rather, wasn't it? Uh, that um had a very high-pitched, silly, cartoonish scream. Um, It would show up um, on Airwave as a link, or it would show up in people's production pieces. And I was doing a a news shift on Communicast News. It was myself and Mike Cintron. And I remember talking to somebody... Um, in the Hempstead city government, I do not remember whose office it was, but I had my hand back and I cued the announcer. And instead of what I had recorded, there was that scream live on air. And... Suddenly it was, please excuse us, we're having technical difficulties, we'll restore normality as soon as we are sure what is normal anyway, and I'm looking dead ahead because I knew if I looked at Mike, and I know this especially because when we got through the broadcast and looked at each other, we laughed for about 10 minutes straight. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure how the carts got mixed up, but that's not something you ever forget. Jeff was not happy, but I heard later that he told somebody that it was one of the funniest things he ever heard. Um, I was, I was holding my breath through that because I didn't want to laugh, but I didn't want to interrupt the story. So (laughs) thank you for giving me permission. Oh, please. Oh, please. It was hysterical. The last one, um, COM21, Intro to Radio Production. Um, We all had a final project. The class was at um, 9 or 10 in the morning. But you know how finals were. They would schedule them scattered. And our final was technically scheduled for 8 And Jeff said to us, it's like, the final is scheduled for eight. Pause. Glare. I'll be here at nine. (laughs) So a few of us said, why don't we get together at eight and do some last minute studying? And so several of us thought it was a great idea. I had to finish my project very late. I slept on the couch in the four-track studio. I think everybody slept on the couch in the four-track studio at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing voices and I woke up and it's like, it's not that early yet. The station's dark. And I staggered into the announcing booth for the two track studio. And there's a few people sitting around and I said, what time is it? And someone said eight 15. 
why aren't we on the air? So Vic sat in the engineering booth and I picked up the announcing and at nine o'clock Jeff came in with, with two finals handed Vic his handed me mine and said, you can take yours in studio a. So I was taking my com 21 final in between announcing the classics from Hofstra. Oh, that's brilliant. That's amazing. Hopefully you did well. I got to be in that class. Okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. Jeff was a, was a tough grader from what I remember. So, uh, not bad. Um, he was, um, Jeff, you know, uh, Jeff also took survey of radio, uh, taught survey of radio. I remember him handing back term papers and he gave Butch Raspy extra points. He told us as Mr. Raspy gets extra points for not having any bullshit. I admire good bullshit, he said. I hate bad bullshit. Wow. That's that's phenomenal. That that speaks volumes about the man. That's wow. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so those are stories that you always tell or always remember. Is there a story that you never tell about working at the station? Um, I almost wasn't program director. Hmm. Um, I had a few emotional problems, um, one of those people that was angry a lot and I didn't necessarily care who I took it out on. And I'm not particularly proud of that. And I've had some help since, but, um, because of that, Jeff wasn't fully comfortable making me program director at the end of the spring semester of 87. But what he did do was give me the opportunity to be the summer operations director. And if I could handle that well, then I could continue as program director as of September of 1987. So I was able to do that. And it was a good chance to earn it. And I'm really grateful that he did that for me. Mm. I I think... Uh, one of the things that Jeff would do is say, I, I, I want to trust you. I want to give you this responsibility, but I want to make sure that I have full trust in you. And, and it's, it, it's a difficult balance because especially, you know, 19, 20 year olds, you can take that in any number of ways. But I think Jeff had a real talent for, for doing that and saying, I, 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 I do trust you. I do want you to do well. Um, here's the test. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you passed. It sounds like you did well. Yeah, I was kind of erratic as a program director, but um, things got done. Things got done. Not always, well, not always smoothly, but things got done. And they could not have gotten done without Vic being such a good station manager. Hmm. Mm. Lessons in, in teamwork and responsibility, I suppose. Yes, yes, but those lessons have served me well for years. I have been a manager, I have hired and fired, I have learned to tap dance around all kinds of personalities, and there were lessons that go all the way back to those days. Hmm. 
Um, you mentioned some pretty big events, uh, both personally and, and, and in the world in general during your time at Hofstra Radio. Is there a song? Is there an event? Is there a, a, a something that defines your time at the station? That's tough. I'm not sure I can say any single time or event. Um, for one thing, the late 80s had great music. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really hard to pick just one. Um, I remember being very fond of the U2 song, um, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For from the Joshua Tree. Um I think everybody at one time or another in those years probably thought Break My Stride was their theme song. Um, (laughs) I don't know if there's... I I don't think I can really name anything that defines my time because for three, three and a half years... um, there were a lot of changes, um, personally, professionally, um, maturity level, the people, you know, the people around the whole environment. I don't think I can pin that down to just one thing. Hmm. Understood. Okay. Um, you, you've been fairly forthright about, you know, the, the things that you went through at the station and, uh, the, the ambitions and the struggles and, and, and the lessons and things like that. Was there ever a moment where you thought, you know, I just, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to walk away or I'm done with this. There isn't, I don't think I ever thought seriously of quitting. Um, I am sure there were times intercession in early 87 comes to mind because I think I was on air 40% of the time and Vic was on air the, you know, 50% of the, you know, 50%. Yeah. And I was just like, I cannot do one more shift. <laughs> but um, I don't think I ever seriously thought of quitting. Um, there were probably times where I would say something like, I'm mad as hell and I can't take this anymore. But I don't think I ever meant it. I The place just meant too much to me. Yeah, there is a fair amount of pressure uh, on student managers, and and uh, I think as, as station manager and program director, and most people were paid, but a lot of those positions were demanding, and there was there was no pay, and there wasn't necessarily a reward. So you know, I, I think some of us go through a time period where we think, well, I I just need to to walk away from this, but it's it's awfully hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there? Um, uh, a big accomplishment or a proudest moment or a moment where you thought this, this is, this is what I'm going to remember for a long time. We brought radio theater back to Hofstra with the last dragon to Brighton beach in 1988. Somewhere in this apartment is a cassette. This was a radio play. Um, it was originally titled last dragon to Avondale written by Thomas Fuller I don't know if Fuller was um, a fellow alum uh, alum of Jeff's or just a friend, but Jeff got permission from him to broadcast this. It was a story about a woman who saw a dragon on the New York subway. 
Um, I had the lead. Jason had a part. Joe Barone was playing. Nancy Zuckerman, Paige Bitgood. I don't remember who else, but um, Jim Vazios, um, he went by Jim at the time. His full name is Dimitri, was um, managing production. We took up three studios and we did this live. And it was just one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life and probably the fastest 22 minutes of my entire life. And not long after that, um, Hofstra Radio Theater Club got started. And by treating it as a club, they were able to get some separate funding. I don't know if that's still in place today, but that did show up um, not long after. Wow. I, I always associate Hofstra Radio with radio theater and, and Jeff's uh, love of that and talent for that. And and you're saying that there there maybe wasn't necessarily a lot of radio theater going on before that. Is that right? Well, there was plenty in um, people's production, you know, people's production projects, but there wasn't it wasn't necessarily broadcast as a regular thing. Um we had Bob and Ray on Saturdays who had their um, their little comedy plays, but we didn't have, say, um, a radio theater hour regularly on the schedule. There would be um, Christmas specials. Um, there was a Star Trek ripoff, uh, Sterling Bronson space something or other that was... Mm an absolute riot. I helped out a little bit in the production of that um, and a few others, but it, like I said, not a dedicated, you know, like Sunday evening gather around the radio for a drama, but Hmm. podcasts have fortunately picked that up. So I am an absolute podcast addict when it comes to audio drama. Hmm. Mm, that's fantastic. Was it Jeff's idea to do that that program or or to to revive that? Um, I believe it was his idea, and um, I don't. I'm not sure why he decided to do it live, but that was just so exciting to have done. Mm, I imagine that the adrenaline must have been uh, really exciting, and and just just everyone just must have been so pumped to take over the entire station and all those studios and. And to try that out live, that must have been fantastic. It was. It was. Um, you know, just it was funny because looking around, you know, it's like because from the um, recording area of the four track studio, you could see pretty much into all the studios um, that were in the basement of Memorial House. So seeing everybody busy out of the corner of my eye, everywhere around me. Um, just added to the whole excitement. Hmm. Hmm. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I did not know anything about that. Um, um, maybe if you ever unearth that cassette, we'd, we'd love to hear it, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I will do that. I really should get that um, stored in the cloud and, or on some better media. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be fun to hear. Um, so you you do this this program. You're a program director. Uh, you work with Vic. You work with Jeff. You do all these things. Is there something that you wish you could have achieved or or, or finished or or done while you were at the station? Um, there was a personal project, and this was actually um, my COM21 final project. We were supposed to have partners. Mine never showed up. I had wow. written 
a soap opera parody called The Edge of Morning. And I had this dream that I was going to do these five-minute bits once a week during Airwave at five minutes of midnight. And I was being incredibly silly. Um, I named half the one, you know, one of the families was, um, there was the Hall family and they were all named after buildings in the, um, you know, on the Hof- on the Hofstra campus. I had characters named Matthew and Patricia Rearch. So you had your patriarch and your matriarch. Um, this never got broadcast, but um, that was a dream I had. And I really wish I had spent more time and more effort in the production studio. Um, I can edit audio with audacity now and quite a change from the grease pencil and the razor blade, but I really yeah, like that. I have the, you know, that I have the ability to do that, even though I'd be hard pressed to find a reel to reel to do that. And I don't know where my editing block is. <laughs> well, you know, if ever in an emergency, I'm sure you could, uh, could patch some things together. I'm sure it would all come back to you quickly. I like to think so. What do you miss most or, or on the other side, what do you miss, miss least about working at the station? You know, in some ways I miss everything. Um, I always felt good behind the microphone or behind the board. I felt, I felt happy. I felt engaged. I felt effective and there's a little bit of a rush there. Um, mm-hmm. I miss the camaraderie. Um, I am still friends with some people that I met in my radio station days. I miss Jeff a lot. Some there, uh, I just it. I wasn't able to go to his funeral or say goodbye officially. So, so that hurt quite a bit. Um, and at the same time. I don't think I'd want to go back. I don't want to be 19, 20, 21 again. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was, well, you know how it is when you're young, you know, you're all ego, you're all piss and vinegar, you're a bunch of raging hormones. Um, I don't think I could go back to doing that. Um but um, going to the 30th anniversary a few years ago brought a lot of that back. And I'm really glad I went. And I did recently go back to being behind the microphone. Um, I do some volunteer um, audio narration for LibriVox. Um, They take public domain books. They work with Project Gutenberg. And they... um, and they make them available to the public. Oh, it's fantastic. So we'll be able to, to go there and, and look up uh, your productions by name. Um, I'm, I'm simply doing a chapter here and there. These are all hugely collaborative projects. So I will lay down a track, edit out the mouth noise, run it through noise reduction, send it in. They do the final editing to put together and then make the entire book available. So if you, if you download a novel, then you're going to have multiple readers. 
And they also do some dramas. I've just started doing, I've just started doing this. Um, the first one I did was part of an old Arthur Conan Doyle story, uh, not a Sherlock Holmes story, but, um, a horror story, um, the sign of the four. Okay. Well, it's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, love to hear it. Um, if you could time travel and go back in time for a minute and find your 18 or 19 year old self, what piece of advice, uh, or information would you give to, uh, younger Kate? Learn to meditate. Having that little mental pause before you act is something that will help you for the rest of your life. There really does. It's really, yeah, I have, I will always have a direct way of speaking and I will always be fairly blunt in my communications, but there really does need to be a little bit of a pause in the brain, you know, from the lizard brain through the thinking brain before words come out the mouth. There really does. Amen. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. I, I, I'm going to take that advice and, and add it to all the things I'm trying to do uh, on a daily basis. But I like that very much. Um, so a number of people have asked or, or messaged me after episodes go out and say, well, what is so-and-so doing now? Or, or what do they do after, uh, college radio? And, and I don't mean to put you too much on the spot, but one of the questions that I've always had is, you know, what do people bring with them from Hofstra radio into the quote unquote real world or adult life? What did you bring from the station with you for the rest of your time? Um, my career has been long and varied. Um, I didn't last very long in professional radio. It didn't pay well. I didn't know how to play politics. I was a bit of a diva. The writing skills, um, taking writing for radio, and also with the journalism classes that I took as part of a communications degree, being able to fire off an idea that can be understood in 60 seconds or 30 seconds is invaluable. Concise communication is um, invaluable anywhere you work. It was kind of funny. I worked for um, West Publishing. Um, so I was working with a bunch of lawyers and I remember muttering, it's like, I'm going to buy every single one of these people a copy of Strunk and White. Um, <laughs> I have worked in software implementation with clients. I have done conference calls for years and the voice still comes in handy. I still mm -hmm. get compliments. I still get compliments on it and being able to pull in people's attention and keep people interested in a purely audio format because, you know, working remotely in conference calls were not new before um, COVID-19 lockdown. So, you know, that ability needed to be there. But the writing, I think, is probably the biggest thing. 
just being able to express your ideas in a in a coherent and efficient way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing all these stories. It has it has been an absolute blast listening uh, to your stories and learning about your time at Hofstra Radio. And uh, I'm I'm so grateful for you taking the time. Thank you. No, thank you. I'm really glad you're putting this um, audio record together. It's been fabulous to listen to.